0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: Nalema kolila misosi, nika yanga na banjalatu, kupatoti na koma lelo lipa zulika, Weta chokela. Amai ko bote kamutima com as nimaona chita si soa. I ma ona Mana kokuipirendi, kuchito ama mumu follow. Hamama ine, izi wanda zota nivi. Taya zeta lemana yoma Atika sikulina, azati kumbuki la oye. Oh Chifuku alelo, bantu bonse baso esaulemu. Ata tenwe, ata
2: Good morning. morning. Welcome to Zambia Block Talk Radio. It is July the twenty fifth and we do thank you for joining us from whichever part of the world that you're calling from. It is nine zero two AM Central Standard Time in Dallas, Texas. I believe it's four PM, somewhere there, sixteen hundred hours in Zambia, and for our friends in Central Africa. It's 3 p.m. in Britain, England, Europe, on those areas, 2 p.m. GMT, and those in the Pacific world of Australia and those parts of the world, it's 10 p.m., getting ready to go to bed. We do thank you for joining us and taking the time to be with us on the show. Thank you. Thank you again. It's... A moment of reckoning, and uh, we are all going through this COVID and uh, lockdown transitions and all this. We have an interesting show for you today because we're going to be talking about navigating life transitions, and our guest is going to be talking about uh, some of the things that she has gone through personally, her experiences, and the work that she does. Before we go to South Africa and say hello to our guests and welcome our guests, uh, let me say hi to my colleagues here who are joining us. Um, the Canadians and people in the north, <laughs> our <How are> things <laughs> up there.
3: <laughs> it's easy, nice and sunny. Uh, the uh-huh. COVID is uh, coming back, so uh, both gloomy uh-huh. and a little bit on the happy side. Okay. Well, that's <laughs> interesting. Uncle Daniel hows Pennsylvania today.
2: He's trying to figure out his role platform. Right, Save, good morning. All right, we shall go into our discussion, Roger. We we have a lot of things to talk about today, things to do with leadership, uh, self emancipation, navigation of life and that's our guest today. She is Dr. Toko Zilele Wanikampoponi, and uh, she is the head of leadership learning and talent for the APSA Banking Group. She is PhD in molecular and science biology from the University of Cape Town. So we're going to be talking about that in a bit of detail, and she's joining us, I believe, from Johannesburg, South Africa. Dr. Good afternoon. Welcome. Uh, Good afternoon Um, and
0: good morning for you. Thank you.
2: (laughs) Yes, we're so glad to have you with us today. And uh, I was telling a friend, I said, today's show is not one of those. Today we're going to use our brains and think and uh, try to go through some life transitions which make us time to think. We're talking about Roger Navigating Life Transition. So um, for those of you wondering what uh, uh, APSA banking group is, it's simply this group of companies. You must have heard about this when they mentioned Zingamelu becoming managing director. APSA group of companies simply bought out what used to be backless across Africa. Is that right, Dr. Mpoboni?
0: Um, yes,
2: it is. Yes. Excellent. So we're talking about transitions, um, the process or a period of changing from one state or condition to another. And uh, you've had quite a few of these transitions yourself. Um, let, let, let's begin. I want us to begin from this point. A uh, scientist. PhD in Molecular and Cell Biology turned into a managing consultant. Uh, what happened there? <laughs>
0: <Huh>? <laughs> I like your opening. What, what happened there is like it was a social accident, right? <laughs> um, I, I think my when I think about my, my career as a scientist, I didn't
1: oh.
0: start out to be a, a molecular scientist. I, I Frankly, I didn't even know what it was until I arrived at mm-hmm. the university. Um, started out at the University of Zambia and then um, moved on to the University of Cape Town. I had always been interested in being a public health officer, official and all of the ones okay. I knew were medical doctors. So I thought, I thought that was the path to be a, a public health um, official and then when I was at the University of Zambia, uh, Professor Kapuria uh, gave me some advice because I, I kind of stood out. I think it was a bit obvious that I wasn't interested in, in medicine per se, but I started to uh-huh. be very intrigued by uh, mo- molecular sciences like microbiology, um, etc. So when I when I went to Cape Town, I went there just to get my first degree. I didn't necessarily expect to, to get my PhD, but when I was there, oh. um, I realized that First of all, it was very exciting, the stuff that I was learning. Um, It was intuitive for me. I think because I enjoyed it so much, it wasn't so much hard work. You know, I think when you're enjoying something, um, you pour your all into it and it doesn't seem painful. Yeah. And I did arrive in South Africa at a very fortunate time because it was a time where there were not a lot of people doing science at that time, a lot of black people, that is And there were Uh not a lot of women. So. So there was also a lot of funding that was available for scholarship. And being a foreigner, I only qualified for funding from my postgraduate study. So I decided I'm definitely going to do the honors. So when I did my honors and then I did my – I started a master's because, I mean, there was funding and I was having a great time, you know. And uh, at the University of of Cape Town, there's a lot to do. So I was also involved in – um, a lot of activities outside of science um, as well. Okay. I did um, a lot of HIV-AIDS-related activism. So my, my oh, family has been quite um, heavily impacted by, by that, uh, by HIV-AIDS from around 1990 onwards. So I I became like a sort of counselor. I was trained. I would go and do treatment literacy workshops in the townships, et cetera. I was having a great time um, while I was um, studying. And when oh. I finished my PhD... Okay, and I think and I finished really quickly. I think again, in the testament of when you're really excited and you throw yourself into things, they become they become not so difficult. I think this is where the dawning of passion and and stuff like that started to like, um, I guess percolate in my mind. Yeah, so I finished. Um, I finished my masters. So I finished the the work I had to do for my masters in a year. But then the university had a rule that you have to be, you have to do it for two years, which would have just been a waste of time for me. So I upgraded it uh, to a PhD, and then I I finished the experiment again in a year. So, but they have the same rule. So I looked for a fancy scholarship just to find a fancy lab around the world to do experiments and write a paper. And I was fortunate to get that um, opportunity. Uh, I had the Rampele Mampele. Um, scholarship I went to Scotland so I did a year of experiments in Scotland in a fancy lab which was really great so when I then graduated and then I got into the lab you know as a postdoc um, I got the opportunity to to lecture as well uh, on a student which was great but I realized very quickly that science a career an academic career in science is about research and honestly you don't really produce at least back in those days yeah you couldn't produce the sort of stuff I was interested in in less than ten to like fifteen years. Okay? And and the rest of the journey would have just been research and, and lecturing and I just didn't have that sort of patience. I'm not that sort of person. I, I started to think I can't live fifteen years of my life before I see myself doing something big to impact people and the world. Uh, from the time mm-hmm. I was a little girl i have always I've always dreamt of Doing big things. But I think I was also fortunate because as a child, I've had that spoken over my life for as long as I can remember. You know, it was always, oh, this one is smart. Oh, this one will do big things. Oh, this one's so helpful. I've had a lot of positive reinforcements in my life from the time I was a child. So I always felt like, yeah, but that would be wasting 15 years. You know, like I've got big things to do in the world. Why would I, you know, be watching beaters and and glass bottles for 15 years? So I'm not to trivialize science, but, you know, I I don't trivialize science at all. And I adore science, actually. So it's it's quite funny in COVID times, I'm enjoying reading all the scientific papers, you know, because I think I still have that that love of science. Yeah, so at that time, I, yeah, I decided to start looking at other options. So I thought maybe business could be a way in which I, I impact the world, looking around for the corporate sector, and literally it was... I mean, I was fortunate to be dating my husband at the time, so he was my boyfriend then. And uh, when I was busy looking around for an MBA scholarship, he was like, I think you've studied enough, you know. There they are people who hire, <laughs> you know, smarty pants like you, <laughs> and you can get into business world without an MBA. So I was like, where? You know, Because obviously I'm a scientist. I didn't know anything except science at that point. And he's the one who... um encouraged me to to look up McKinsey. We actually met a friend of his who was at McKinsey. And when I met the guy, he was like, the guy was like pretty, you know, ordinary laid back. So I was like, oh, okay, so that McKinsey stuff can't be that hard. And I went on the website. Um, the first website I visited actually was McKinsey um, advertising the fact that they had done some work in Uganda for the ARV rollout. And, of course, <laughs> HIV AIDS issues were very close to my heart. I was an activist. I was even a member of the Treatment Action Campaign at that point. And I just was like, wow, they do such amazing, impactful work. And they said, you know, they can hire people who are non-business people and they'll teach you what you need to. So I I went through the process and um, I got in. And I must say, I only realized it was a big deal after, and I'm very grateful for that. Yeah, Because when I went to, I just uh, tried out, I went in, I was very green, and I was very innocent, you know, and I went through their process, which I thought was completely biased towards business students, and I let them know that, you know, I was very um, confident. I think I had a real good dose of confidence and ignorance. And then I got in, and then only after I got in, and I told everyone, well, I'm leaving, I'm going to McKinsey. Then I found out McKinsey was such a big deal. You know, I didn't know before, and thank goodness, because I think I might have. (laughs) You know, I think I might have been overwhelmed at the idea of being a molecular scientist and going to this place, which is like very business focused, etc. But once I got into to McKinsey, I must say I it it was one of the probably the most accelerated growth I've ever experienced in my life, and I'm glad I did it when I was relatively young. So I was quite um bold, you know, and and eager, so I was so bold and eager, it didn't matter, that pretty much almost every project I, I went on, I had no clue uh-huh. what it was about, but by the end of the project, I, I did know, you know, in the early days, so I, I think I had a natural learning mindset, after all the tests I've done to date, I know it's actually a skill of mine, I'm, I'm one of those people who's a natural learner, and I think it served, it served me well, so, so I think for that particular transition, because I was a bit young and eager, it really was about excitement and, and stepping into that. I, I don't think I'd had enough experience and knocks in life at that time where I'm, I'm like grappling with fear, etc. you know, that in future. So for me then it was just, I think I moved towards something I felt would be a better vehicle for me to live out the impact that I wanted in, in life. I wanted to see my impact to be more immediate and, and et cetera. But the projects I worked on still tended to be healthcare projects or public health type related work, which is what I was very passionate about at that time.
2: Let, let, okay, let's zero in into something that you have said here. Um, you know, it's like you went into this organization, you've clearly stated that it was more of a bias, it had a bias towards business. people with business qualifications or credentials and things like this. So here's the scientist who's getting into this environment of business or management consultancy. And in your bio, there's a there's a line there which says um, you sort of combine analytical rigor and insight from scientific training into your work. I want you to elaborate on that because this, here is the reason I want you to break that down. A lot of people have got uh, big, huge challenges transitioning from one career, especially of what they are trained into, to something else. So just break yeah. that down, yeah, and let's see how does it, how does that, yeah, how do people navigate that? How
0: does it work? Yeah, so I love to to talk about this, particularly in schools or with younger children, when I get involved in career discussions. So I think when we were growing up, and I think some schools still do this today, you are almost um, conditioned to think that what you study, it's actually the content of what you study that's important. Right, and and what I have learned through my own experience, but frankly through Google and and looking at where the world is today, is the content of what you learn is no longer important. Right, especially if you look at the rate of change in the world, like that content is it's available it's ubiquitous, it's everywhere. You don't really need to go through, uh, you know, studying something based on remembering stuff, yeah, because knowledge is now ubiquitous and it's at our fingertips. What's important about studying is the process of, of studying and the sort of skills you pick up along the way. So if you look at uh, science, for example, science is about discovery and, and curiosity, yeah? especially if you look at the, the Ph.D. If you look at any Ph.D., mm-hmm. actually, any Ph.D. is about cre- creating new knowledge, right? You're, you're creating a new thinking that other people haven't done um, before, So if you think about that process, it starts with um, curiosity, right? So you're curious about something, which they then make you translate into a thesis question. You then embark on a set of um, questions or research that you think will help you answer that thing. So you're doing like an investigative process. And in that investigative process, there's a combination of, you know, you produce results, you analyze them, you know, you then synthesize them into a, a recommendation, right, or into the solution that you create. Now, if you think about that as a process, and you bring it into today's world, these are like essential skills, particularly in a fourth industrial revolution world, right? Curiosity is very important because pretty much every day there's stuff coming up that we don't know and and you've never seen before. But if you are not trained, to be a person who is curious about the unknown, yeah, rather than a person who just blocks it and doesn't want to know, right? You block your opportunity to learn. It as a growth mindset, right? People who are, like, eager to inquire into stuff that they don't know so that they can actually find out what it is. But all those sorts of skills that you, you pick up, right, you can then apply them in all parts of your life. You can apply them even in your personal life. So often when I speak to um, young people in particular around careers and studying, I remind them that, remember, try and study something you're passionate about. Because at McKinsey, I worked with people who had studied music, right? And if I think about my own upbringing in Zambia, I can't imagine a bright child actually being allowed to study music. Yeah? you yeah, tell you you're wasting your talent, right? They'll be like, whoever hire you, you know, as a musician. But now that I'm older and I actually understand music and the discipline and the analytics in stuff like music or in philosophy, mm. I mean, those, uh-huh. are great, those are great training subjects for thinking and, and analytical thinking, and especially for critical thinking. I think philosophy is unparalleled, in, in, in my opinion, in that regard. So, so in my view, you can do more for your kids to get them to study what they're passionate about because they will excel, and in that excelling, they will actually pick up the skills that we need You know, when it's time for us to now hire them and employ them. right? Because they would have distinguished themselves. You almost don't care what they studied, because frankly, half the, the stuff people are studying in university, you can't use that stuff by the time it's time to hire them. So you're more interested in the product, the university product that you've bought, you know, someone with these well-honed skills, skills rather than you know someone who's going to come and and remember verbatim what was in those textbooks i, I think engineering is a classic example right engineering uses yeah. so much technology today but if you go to if you go to university, they're still doing engineering from textbooks you know what i mean so 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 yeah. that's that's how i that's how I like to think about it is whenever you're trying to make a transition, so let's say you're you're a marketing person and you've woken up and and today you want to actually go into computing or, or something. You know, rather than think about, oh, but I'm not a technical person. You have to always remember, you can't say you're not a technical person because you haven't tried to be. You have to say, I have no technical experience. I'm now going on this journey, and I'll pick up those skills, right? You weren't born being a marketer. You learned that, right? And and there's nothing that you don't have that won't allow you to then learn the next thing. And I think that's what's important. I think we need to stop making people think what they study is who they are. Yeah, That's just the thing you studied mm. you to a point in time. You always have that's... the capacity to then study something else and then become something else. So that's what I am there, there
2: saying. The, yeah, there is this tendency. It's very common. I can't speak about other cultures, but as a, as a people of color, African people, we tend to, I'll use your phrase, which I got from one of the readings I did about your work, don't waste your talents following other people's tried and tested paths. Why are we always trying to duplicate why other people? L- like you, you remember, you, you probably, everybody listening here, you reflect on, and re- recall this. When the business of Salaula came into play, everybody wanted to do that, Dr. Mpompoli. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know what I'm Absolutely. trying to say? Why, why do we mm-hmm. do that? Where, Where does the problem lie with that?
0: Yeah, so, look, we, we definitely have a history, right? And, and I, I always, I always uh, especially when I'm coaching people around dealing with your past, I think the first thing that's important to remember is that, um, especially people my age, like people in the 40s, people are older, 40s, 50s, is that our parents brought us up based on their best knowledge as well as their own experience. Yeah. So for a long time, there were only certain paths that seemed to lead to prosperity. So for most parents, and I think for most people, it's normal and natural to choose the path of least resistance. It's frankly it's a it's a it's a natural phenomenon. Yeah, that even water is like that. When water is flowing, it will look for the path of least resistance and flow there. So I think that for a long time, the The careers that are considered to be lucrative or or will give you good financial returns, yeah, we had like, there were like five or four, right? It was the doctor, the lawyer, the engineer, uh, et cetera. And if you look back on those days, that was probably true because those really were the professions, you know, where you're a professional and, or or like a banker, yeah, you'll be a banker for life and that's all that you do. So I think some of that just comes from. Um, socialization and, and dogma that has now become really deeply entrenched mindsets, right? And, and everyone tends to bring up children based on the way they were parented, right? And that this thing has propagated. Everyone just believes this is the path. This is the path. Now, it, especially if you if you if you don't get exposed to something, right? You're not going to dream it up from nowhere. And, and this is, I think, one of the powers of technology and social media and forums such as this, right, like we're chatting now and people are, are, are tuned in from around the world, but we now need to be a little bit more deliberate um, in exposing our people and especially our children to the wealth of what you can do. Yeah? So, so I think even sometimes when I go back to Zambia, I do feel there isn't enough um, conversation and, and guidance around all of the possibilities, that have now, you know, come upon us. No. I'll give you an example, a very, a very small um, example. For example, if you look at the Kardashians, right, I'm pretty sure there are still some parents who will tell their kids, like, oh, I don't want you to watch those shows. You know, those girls are so immoral, you know, like you must never be that when you grow up, etc." which is fine. But you could also think about the Kardashians as, wow, okay, so, so maybe those girls we're never interested in doing medicine or anything like that. And maybe their mother realized that, actually, I need to take what they're great at, right? If they like fashion and all this stuff, how can I commercialize that so that I actually, you know, build an empire around them and that they actually are able to be, you know, self-standing and self-sufficient that way, right? And, and they're all millionaires right now, those kids. And, and how do they become millionaires? by letting people just watch them live their lives, you know? And, and this is now an actual industry, okay? And that has now spawned all these social media bloggers, etc. And if parents only could get over the, um, what do I call it, I guess that esteem, right? Because I, I think sometimes people have attached esteem to certain careers, like, oh, no, my child's a doctor, my child's a lawyer, you know? No one wants to say, oh, my child's a blogger. Right, Even though that child could be like a multimillionaire millionaire <laughs> doing something that they love. You know I'm what I mean? And, and so so I think that's, that's one, of the, <laughs> this is one of the challenges we actually need to, to deal with in, in Africa is can we let go of the esteem issues, right? And, and actually tell our children and, and say, what, what are you great at? Okay, what is it you enjoy? How can I help nurture that so that you're able to commercialize that? You know, and, and take care of yourself, you know, going forward rather than trying to make every child a doctor, a lawyer, um, et cetera. Especially if you think about technology. I think the one thing I'm so grateful for about technology and the internet and the fact that the cost of oh. data are, are decreasing every day is that now everyone is your potential customer. Right? You don't, you no know, longer, if you live in Kapirim Porsche right? You're not uh-huh. really bound by the people in Kapurinposhi as your market, yeah? Right? If I yes. think of, you remember, like, driving from Dola to Lusaka, all those people who sell couriers, et cetera, and so on, you know? You just need to be a little bit, you know, so savvy, how can I start a website, so how can I...
4: But people,
0: uh-huh. and if you think about now, tourists, right, they can't come to Zambia, but maybe they'll still be interested in couriers, right? How do I get into that market, you know, and put my stuff where people will see it, right? I oh, make in the shipping costs, and then I start a little business, etc. cetera. So, so I do think as parents, um, I speak a lot about parenting in a 4IR world. I do think we have a new responsibility to be better educated ourselves about what are all these possibilities that the world we live in today has spawned, you know, and, and bring our children up appropriately based on that, you know. Don't make your children think that the first career they choose is what they have to do for the rest of their life. Right? They'll do it now because they're interested in now. And if it's not working in five or six years, they can do something later. Right? Because your your brain doesn't stop learning just because you left university and entered the workplace. You know, and, and so I think those sorts of conversations are extremely important and, and we must be more deliberate about using forums like yours and others to not only educate the young people but also educate the parents. So so I have a particular passion for parents because I, I think parents need to do more. It's not enough to go to work and come home tired and just watch the news. Right? And then you're just yeah, satisfied because yeah. you, know, you threw your kids into a school. We, a we, we, we are, we are right. going to I'm,
2: talk I'm not about sure. Yeah. We shall talk about parenting in the diaspora or away from home. Home, home away from home. Uh, they, I, I want to throw this at my friends here who have called in. Uh, Roger, my son is a blogger. My son is a professional blogger. How does that sound?
0: <laughs> that sounds fantastic. Uh, uh-huh. I, I love that. Please send, send, us his email, send us his website. We will go in and, and we will support him. I mean, for the person to be a blogger they must be a great writer, they must be creative. Yeah. You know, and I think uh-huh. the, the work that um Roger has to do is to help um his son figure out that mm-hmm. he want that to just be a hobby because he because he wants to um do something else in terms of a career, or just want to explore mm. how that blogging can actually become a career for him, and how he can help him to commercialize that. Right? I mean, there's mm. a great mm. marketing. Uh, yeah. Nothing is like nine dollars, right? So point towards <laughs> things like that. You know, to really help him to develop that and, and nurture it. Mm. You know, so before I allow, it,
2: yeah, it does. Before I allow others to to come in here, let's. Let, you, I want you to, since you are talking about hobbies and things like that, so Dr. Galonde, Noah, everybody, yeah. think, start thinking about my son is a professional blogger. We, we're going to keep that. Uh, you, there's a statement or a phrase I read on your on your platform which says, every hobby is an unexamined business case. Roger, think about that. Yeah. Every hobby is an examined business case. Can you please explain that?
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so one of the things I have woken up to, yeah, and I I think about this a lot. So I'm one of those people, if I look back on my life, I, I've done cakes, like celebration cakes. When I used to work uh, mm-hmm. at Bank of Zambia, I was a class actually in between school. I was at Bank of Zambia for a year I used to sell, uh, they used to pay me, but of course, as the you know, clerk, it was like the bottom of the rung. It wasn't a lot of money, but I was in the personnel department, and one day I made a cake, you know, and I I brought it to work, and I put it out there, just being, you know, cute. You know, you're trying to make friends. And so when people ate Uh the cake, they were like, oh, wow, this is great. Do you sell cakes? I was like, yes, I do. And I lied, because I never used to sell cakes. But I figured if they're going to ask me, I totally will make them. The whole time I worked there, I made three times my salary from cakes versus wow. my, uh, what they used to pay me, right? This was my first taste of, oh, wow, okay, so this, you know, side gig thing can work. And over the years, I've done um, different things. Yeah, I've done catering, um, et cetera. But now, in particularly in COVID, right? Uh, oh, the other mm-hmm, thing I do, mm-hmm. sorry, is I... I, I I design my clothes, so I love um, African clothes, I like change outfits, etc. About I think about seven years ago, I just declared this is the only clothes I'm gonna wear. I'm not gonna wear any more Western clothes for work because I just like these bright colors, and that's what I've done for the last seven years. So I design, and I really enjoy it because I, I mix stuff up, etc. And people have always, but you should produce a line, you should produce a line, and I was like, no, it's too much work, right? But in wow. times of COVID now. I've actually been thinking about it a lot, and I realize for a lot of us, we have a lot of interests, but because we are not brought up to be entrepreneurial, okay, there are certain cultures that I've studied and read about, like the Indian culture, the Jewish culture, there's a lot of entrepreneurship in the way they are brought up, you know, the yeah. Nigerian culture, like I, all the fancy Nigerian friends I had who are either like doctors, lawyers, et cetera, most of them, they're always outside businesses, which kind of intrigued me. But I realize that for for most of us, because we are not, we are brought up to glorify being employed, okay? And this is, for me, one of the, the biggest disservices I think my parents did. Right? Is I did, for a long time, think it's amazing to be employed. You know, like, oh, that was, like, the highest thing, to, like, get a great job. But the more and more I think about it now, it actually isn't, you know? I think the highest expression of a person is when you create something, Yourself and you own it and you grow it and you build it. So, so that's why I, I firmly believe that if you look at your hobby uh-huh. Any hobby that you have there is an opportunity to commercialize that Right look at singers. I mean they sing right. That's what they love And if they're serious enough about it, they become Beyonce or Alicia Keys, you know, or, or Jay-Z et cetera. That could have just been a hobby. I mean, how many of us are sitting on children with wonderful voices? Right, and every day we just say, "Oh, darling, great song." Please go and study your biology. Right, you could be sitting on a Beyonce. Right, so so that's the thing for me is, is I do think we need to be more deliberate in pursuing our hobbies from an understanding that if I love this so much, maybe that's the gift that God gave me to bring into the world. Right, and and that gift doesn't need to be unpaid. You can commercialize that. You know, because I truly believe if you do what you were born to do, you attract, you know, the commercial returns as well as we've seen from from various artists or so all these other professions that are not the traditional ones that, that children are pushed into. That when people do it with passion, I mean, it attracts people and they become famous and then they make money. Oh. So, so that's the thing for me is that if you have a hobby, even if you have a job. Pay attention to that hobby. That hobby could be a whole different revenue stream for you. Mm -hmm. So then you get the double, you know, you you get the double return of deep joy from doing something you love, and then you get paid for it, which is awesome,
2: I think. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. All right. You're listening to Dr. Chokosilanewane Kampani. She's talking to us about navigating life transitions. Before we talk about family life, parenting, uh you've already hit on a lot of things to do with children here. Uh I want my colleagues here to come in. What what has hit you like a ton of bricks? Doctor Patrick, uh Doctor Salonde, Noah and uh Humphrey, good morning. You finally you figured out your time zone and everything Well, goes.
3: Nathan before Yeah. Um, <clears throat> The first one, Nathan, she said was, uh, the content of what you're right now is is not important anymore. And, and an old, uh, old guy like me will be like, what? You know? Um, and this is why, Nathan, we are finding it so hard to force our children to study. You know? Probably don't even understand why you are forcing them to uh, to sit and read. And yet there is something they they, they could do and maybe a skill something like that. Uh, mm. Doctor Lewanika, I, I think Lewanika sounds much easier in my mouth. Uh, <laughs> it is in <laughs> 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 although it's in the middle, although it's in the middle, Nathan and I, the community of Zambians abroad, with our fellow friends the Americans, we have been doing this radio for almost eleven years. And when you talk about the hobby. Um, Uh, One thing which has just come to my mind is probably something you do, sometimes effortless. You do your best, but Mm -hmm. it's effortless. Exactly. Yes, it is effortless. And uh, we are discussing with NASA, we need to go a step further. What we have done for this law somehow should start bringing some revenue. So that was a ton of bricks for, for, for me. Uh, like the, the the Zambians would say, you, are, you were pushing an open door. Uh, you really pushed it uh, so hard there. I really like that. Yeah.
2: Dr. Kalonde, Noah.
1: Okay. Yeah. Oh, this Anybody? This
4: is
1: Noah.
4: Yeah, Noah. Yeah. No, th- Thank you, Doctor, for coming to the program and sharing your wisdom. I totally agree with what you are saying, because I think we live in a new era, or this is a dynamic age of information. Because I think what took used to take took people years yeah. to study to memorize, you can just Google in a few seconds. So we live yeah. in a totally exactly. different environment. And I have a little princess. She is fourteen. She can paint. And oh so she, actually I'm not sort of just trying to blow my little princess trumpet but everything that I've shared
1: with mean, know,
2: let can let me interrupt you mm-hmm. a little bit Noah I remember mm-hmm. a friend like uh, Roger said now probably in the same Dr. Do you know what uh, What it? I remember mm-hmm. I'll let you continue Noah I'm just trying to you saying, hey, I'm not trying to blow my trumpet here. I always remember something that Oprah said. I used to watch Oprah show a lot. She said to somebody, actually she said it to, to what's his name? Uh, Anderson Cooper. Don't apologize for being rich. Okay?
3: Don't. Mm-hmm.
2: So don't apologize for your child being gifted. Don't. I always mm-hmm. tell people, my kids are smarter Celebrated. than I am. If you listen to my children teach the Bible Noah, they are better Mm -hmm. than me, who's got all these degrees in theology. So continue. Don't apologize
4: about your child being great. Thank you. Thank you for for pointing that out. Yeah, so my little princess, she can sing, she can dance, and she can paint. I've actually put up a website for her. Uh, We're just Mm. trying to upload some of her paintings. And I've shown some of the paintings even to my local community here in Indiana. Everybody actually appreciates what she's done, and also I'm part of some group in the Writers' Association of Africa. I mean, I do poetry, writing, and all that stuff, I mean, in my free time. So I've shared my little girls' paintings on that block where they have tons of Zambians and also people from outside the country. They all uh, acknowledge that, no, this girl can do far. So my little girl, the reason what, I, what I'm what i trying to say is she doesn't show much interest in school. But when you put her in yeah. her room, she put her, I mean, you buy these canvases, the paint and all that stuff. Oh, now it's like now you've sort of activated her. She's been well, yeah, a lot of time little. in her room. She can paint, she can sing. I mean, she sings along to most of these songs. So I think it's true what you are saying, because I think we need, as parents, we need to capitalize and not just emphasize, go and study mathematics and do things like that. So I just wanted to point out that I have a little princess. She's very much grounded mm-hmm. in the arts, and she's, if uh, I'm, um, I'm actually going to do the very best that I can as a parent to support her in that mm-hmm. direction. So, Dr. Wanika, yeah. yeah. school no, that's great. How I, I just want to a... say... A... Yeah. Mm. Go ahead.
0: Yeah so I just wanted to respond to to Noah. I think that's wonderful. Noah, I have the 17 year old version of that in my house. Yeah, I have a daughter who is very gifted in the arts and everything arts, you know, and uh, her name is Wupe. You know, singing, dancing, art, anything. So so I I you resonated with me very strongly. There are two things that I am trying to do in 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 my own life for Wupe that I would I would ask you to consider. The first one is that mostly for artists, the challenge that we always worry about is, you know, they won't, make, they won't be able to make a living. You know, they won't be able to commercialize their art, etc. And I would really encourage you as a parent, but also your daughter, to start to do some research. So first of all, oh. she can definitely do all those things. Which, which one is she best? Because with artists, their art can take a lot of different expressions, but there's always that one that is the most distinctive. Yeah. So for her, that might be the, the dancing, it might be the singing, or it might be actually the painting. So if you can figure out which of those three things is she greatest at, and then think and then start to do mm-hmm. research of in our context, the people who've been most successful at that form of art, right? What's the things that sort of makes the difference, so that you can actually start to build those skills in her as well, okay? So anything from if it's technique, does she have the, the training, does she, is, does she have a teacher she's working with to really turn her into a professional artist, you, uh, depending on where you live, depending in the U.S., or, although um, I've noticed now a lot of these camps are also have gone online, right? Can you register her for some of those camps to really give her an accelerated experience to really bring out, you know, the, the fine skills, right, really hone it? And, and really dig into, into that part as well. It's really helped her to prepare to potentially commercialize this, right? That's one. The second one, and this is another one for me that we working on uh, with my husband, is that I personally think it's okay to give your children the gift of not having to worry about looking after themselves, you know, like financially. If, if you can create a family wealth, that can benefit your daughter, that, yes, she work hard, etc. but she doesn't necessarily have to, to do her craft in order to eat. Yeah? I think this is a gift I would want more parents to give their children. I think I grew up with a narrative that said, okay, I worked. This is my stuff. Now you must work and do do it for yourself. And sometimes no. I feel that that robs people, people living the life they were meant to live. What's the glory in your child struggling for sugar, really? You know, I, I think if, if your child can do what they were born to do without those shackles of having to worry about oh where am I going to sleep, what am I going to eat, they could do so much more for the world, which would be like amazing,
4: right? Without
0: having to worry about how am I going to pay my rent. So mm,
5: that's true. to you
0: as a parent, I want to give you that as an invitation: is if you know your child is gifted that way, what else could you do in terms of your wealth building? that will go beyond, you know, the own lifetime to help provide that for your child, right? But obviously you have to build enough business acumen in your child that that doesn't, like, you know, uh, be depleted if anything should happen to you or, or your wife as well. So, so we have also on that trip to say, let's try and build this empire. Let's support these kids into becoming whatever they were meant to become. But at the same time, they have to learn to be business-minded. An entrepreneurial oh. as well, because that's a non-negotiable. If, if we're going to say that's what we're going to do as a family as well. And and that's that's the stuff that I would say you should also think about. It's like, don't worry about who's going to employ your child, right? Even if no one employs us, let's figure out how she can make, you know, mm-hmm. a living out of that, but how you can help protect those other aspects of, you know, uh, rent and food, et cetera. Mm. Uh,
1: yeah, uh,
2: yeah, Thank you for that answer, answer. advice. Excellent. Humphrey, what's the narrative for Bench? How are things looking on your side?
5: <laughs> thank you, yeah. thank you, Honorable. Uh Benj is very promising. I think uh he's very uh, savvy technologically. I mean, this is a guy who has never set foot in a classroom. You know, his mother has uh taught him from home, uh, you know, reading and uh you know, numbers and things like that. But when you see him navigate the computer, it's like, how did this guy figure this thing out? You know, we've never really sat him down because if anything, we told him not to get to the computer, but somehow he sneaks in there. And when you see what he's able to do and how he's able, it's just amazing for for a four-year-old. So I think we need to expose him more to to things alongside, uh, you know, technology, and things like that. He has the hang of it. He he really seems to be doing so well in that regard. Yeah. Mm. Uh, okay. Excellent. Oh. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, and,
2: uh, and
0: and and Humphrey, you make a you, you make a great point, Humphrey. And I hope other parents who are listening, who are busy trying to control screen time, etc., uh-huh. really heard what you said because I have a personal experience of that as well, where my younger daughter, who's seven now, has been fascinated by iPads, I think, since she was one. Yeah? She used to, like, just play around on it, etc. And the things that she can do with an iPad today, I can't even do, you know? And it, I think it's put her so far ahead. When you see her with other kids, you actually see that she thinks digitally. It's very amusing for me, you know? She actually thinks mm. she can solve everything digitally just because okay. she's been on... You know, she's had that. So so I, that's another big shift, mentorship we have to make as parents is, of course, you don't want your child on the computer All they do is watch, you know, Barbie all day. Oh. That's not particularly helpful, right? But the computers oh. could be an amazing parenting tool to teach your, your kids and to engage your kids' curiosity in a way that allows your kids to learn to do things. And it also grows their confidence as well as they learn to do more sophisticated things um, digitally as well. So, yeah, I just wanted to emphasize that for any other parents that struggling with, oh, that kid is on the computer too long, oh, that kid's on the iPad too long, just do your bit to help your child be, do and be obsessed with the right sort of content, the right sort of activities that actually develop them further, you know, rather than just square eyes from, from Barbie and whatever the, the latest ones are these days. Hmm. I have two more questions
2: in the 10 minutes, 11 minutes we have remaining here, Dr. Iwanita. We are away from home, what is traditionally called diaspora. Away from home, uh, you are in a cross-cultural marriage. Uh, You are bringing kids up. You mentioned you're bringing two kids away from home. Home away from home, both you and your husband are not living in your countries of origin, so to speak. Uh, How have you navigated that? I know that's a general question, but I just want you to address whatever things you want to address concerning family life and all those things.
0: Um, Which aspect? Living from home or being in a cross-cultural marriage or both? Both. (laughs) Both. So living from home, so I'm a bit um, different because... I, I lost my dad and um, my siblings, um, et cetera, in Zambia. So Zambia for me right now, and my only surviving sister is now in, in South Korea with, with, uh, with an aunt of ours. So Zambia for me, I, I have family there. I have my aunts and my cousins, um, et cetera. So being away from Zambia is not... As painful because my family is not there. I also have family from Malawi because I'm half Malawian, but I do miss um, Zambians. Right? I think I'm very fortunate that from the time I was at school at UCT and even now in Joburg, I have a close set of friends. Amongst those are my Zambian people. Uh, so I, I, I don't feel like I don't have Zambia with me. Yeah. I think technology, um, WhatsApp, and all this stuff. Has kept me quite connected, and you can find a lot of the food here, which is great. Um, the one thing, though, I do think about often, and I think most of us who have made relatively successful lives for ourselves outside of our home uh-huh. country do feel a bit, do feel a bit, um, what's the word? I do feel a bit like I've let Zambia down. Like I need to do something to give back, because it doesn't matter that. Some of some of my most formative years have been in South Africa. I've been in South Africa for the last 20 years, right? I do know that the first place that really formed me to who I am is Fatima Girls. Like that school changed the person that I am till today, like positively. Yeah, I left that school thinking there's nothing a girl or woman can do, got literally uh. we did everything at that school. You know, so so I, I often do think about you know how do I. Give back. I'm, I'm sure percolating in my mind. Um, I do think it will still be in the in the area of leadership. I don't think I have to physically be there, but I definitely do want to be part of doing something big for my my home country. Um, I think all of us every five minutes think about, you know, I should go there and just be an MP. My goodness, let me help that country, you know. But I'm not a politician, so I definitely do think, um, you know, I, I definitely do think that I want to do something. Um, in Zambia, to, to give back, that on a big scale in the area of, of leadership um, development. In terms of, I'll talk a little bit more about a cross-cultural marriage. So what, what's what been interesting for me is I obviously have grown up in a family with very strong women, my mom and my, my dad's side, like really strong women, right? Which obviously uh-huh. means no-nonsense no, no type of women, you know. We do have <laughs> quite a bit of divorce in my there's a lot of divorce in my family history on both sides, you know, mom's side and dad's side, because it's just those women who are like, we don't take nonsense, blah, blah, et cetera. Uh, but when, when I look at my own life and, and my marriage, what's been very interesting is when you get married and the women sit you down, yeah, I did have all of that traditional um, wedding as well, you know, with uh-huh. the, you know, your counselors, et cetera, and they tell you certain things. And you're rolling your your eyes, you know, like oh God, yeah, we've heard this, you know, we've heard this like a thousand times, etc. And then I think when you enter marriage, yeah, if you are wise enough, all of the things that they teach you about marriage is true, you know. I, but I do think sometimes we are so stubborn that we have to learn those lessons ourselves. And sometimes they're difficult. Sometimes they're not. I think for me, being in a cross-cultural marriage, the biggest lesson has been to realize that the, the family I come from and the way that I was brought up, that's just one way. It's not the way, okay? Uh,
5: because my uh. husband
0: also, you know, was brought up in a different place. I mean, he's Zimbabwean, you know, he a mom, etc. So when we got married, it started to really surface the fact that everyone leads their own life based on what they think is best. And often, what you think is best is based on how you were brought up. You know? This is what my mom did. This is what my dad did. This is what we do, etc. But as soon as you're in a marriage with someone who came from somewhere else, yeah, it's give or take. You know what I mean? And you must be much more compromising. So I think what I've learned is there's stuff I do or I'm subjected to because that's where my... That's how my husband was brought up, and that's part of his culture. I've learned to develop appreciative inquiry into those things, yeah? So even if I don't necessarily believe in it, even if I don't, it's not something I would do, to not receive it as something that is a burden or annoying, yeah? Because that's, oh. that's part of who he is. And, and it's okay to not understand stuff. Frankly, you don't have to understand everything. Sometimes you just have to follow because that's who your person is, Right? But what's important is that when it comes to the other side, you must, he must also reciprocate. And uh-huh. I think that's what has worked for us, right? Is I do stuff that is part of their culture, and, and, and from where they're from, I am very fortunate. I think i have probably one of the best mother-in-laws in the world. My, my husband's mother is amazing. In fact, my, my husband's family is, is really amazing. So I've never had, you know, those issues, the typical Makoti issues, Etc. <laughs> so I'm very lucky um, in that in that regard. They, they are wonderful people, um, so that's been very positive oh, for me. But where the tensions have mostly been is with me and my husband making calls and stuff, right? <laughs> Especially when it comes to upbringing, because I think that's that's where when you are raising kids, that, that uh-huh. often, often brings the biggest uh, tensions, right? You want to do this, your husband does that, you know, and it, it, it we would have blowouts, right? But do you think? Do you think I'm like a, a, a bad parent for doing that? Wow, wow, wow. Oh, you're always, you're always this and that. And I'll still be like, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I don't agree, etc. So I think it's, it's about always remember you are completely different people. And to, to truly love each other, in my view, is to also make space for, for the other person to be present in the marriage. Right? So, so you can win some, but you should also be willing to lose some then both of you don't get lost in the marriage, yeah? You, you, you will both appreciate different things about where you came from. And I think both partners need to be intentional about that. It can't always just be about you and how you were brought up, you know, because then you might as well have married yourself, yeah? And, and that's mm. what I would say. It's, for me, that is the part that is the most important, the fact that it's two different kingdoms eating, and then they create yes. a new kingdom. But it can't just be like, oh, it's the ma- everything must be the man's side. Right Why must your wife and everything that she stands for disappear from the marriage? You know That's also not healthy, and you rob wow. your children potentially of that whole side of their, their heritage. So yeah, I think awesome. for me, that's the biggest thing that I've learned is to, to always be committed to make space for who my husband is and where he comes from, to also be very much alive in, in, in our marriage, but also in, in our family. It can't just all be about me, and you know and how I was brought up. It's
2: very, I really wanted you to speak on that. It's very important because for you, an educated woman, successful career-wise, and coming, you said you were brought up in, I mean, I know your family, I know your family, (laughs) and uh, you've clearly stated strong women, and for you to speak like that, I think it's important, especially for us who are not just in mixed marriages, but... We are away from home, and those challenges can yeah. arise, especially when bringing yeah. up the kids. You see, yeah, these kids are growing up. These kids are not growing up in in where? They are not growing up in Chimwemwe or or you know, Chicola. <laughs> they are not growing up in Kabwata. They are growing up in some place. I don't know what area you live in, Atlanta, uh, Humphrey, and everybody here, is Dr. Galwanda. We are away from home, so it's important. Dr. Mpoponi mm-hmm. was our guest this morning, and I think you've hit on some things that needed to be hit on today. We have a lot to talk about. Uh, we didn't even get to you call uh, COVID-19 uh, as, the, as the fourth industrial uh, revolution. <laughs> I think we shall, we shall talk about that later. Thank you for taking the time.
0: It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.
2: Excellent. That was our show, everybody. Let's go back in and uh, join Roger on Open Forum. Thank you, Dr. Lewanika.
1: Thank you, Nathan. (laughs)